Adventure number eight in the return of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Adventure eight. The adventure of the six Napoleons. It was no very unusual thing for Mr. Lestrade of Scotland Yard to look in upon us of an evening, and his visits were welcome to Sherlock Holmes, for they enabled him to keep in touch with all that was going on at the police headquarters. In return for the news which Lestrade would bring, Holmes was always ready to listen with attention to the details of any case upon which the detective was engaged, and was able occasionally, without any active interference, to give some hint or suggestion drawn from his own vast knowledge and experience. On this particular evening, Lestrade had spoken of the weather and the newspapers. Then he had fallen silent, puffing thoughtfully at his cigar. Holmes looked keenly at him. "'Anything remarkable on hand?' he asked. "'Oh, no, Mr. Holmes. Nothing very particular.' "'Then tell me about it.' Lestrade laughed. "'Well, Mr. Holmes, there's no use denying that there is something on my mind, and yet it is such an absurd business that I hesitated to bother you about it. On the other hand, although it is trivial, it is undoubtedly queer, and I know that you have a taste for all that is out of the common. But in my opinion, it comes more in Dr. Watson's line than ours.' "'Disease,' said I madness anyhow and a queer madness too you wouldn't think there was anyone living at this time of day who was such a hatred of napoleon the first that he would break any image of him that he could see holmes sank back in his chair that's no business of mine said he exactly that's what i said but then when the man commits burglary in order to break images which are not his own that brings it away from the doctor and on to the policeman holmes sat up again burglary this is more interesting let me hear the details lestrade took out his official notebook and refreshed his memory from its pages the first case reported was four days ago said he it was at the shop of morse hudson who has a place for the sale of pictures and statues in the kennington road the assistant had left the front shop for an instant when he heard a crash and hurrying in he found a plaster bust of napoleon which stood with several other works of art upon the counter lying shivered into fragments he rushed out into the road but although several passers-by declared that they had noticed a man run out of the shop he could neither see anyone nor could he find any means of identifying the rascal it seemed to be one of those senseless acts of hooliganism which occur from time to time and it was reported to the constable on the beat as such the plaster cast was not worth more than a few shillings and the whole affair appeared to be too childish for any particular investigation the second case however was more serious and also more singular it occurred only last night in kennington road and within a few hundred yards of morse hudson's shop there lives a well-known medical practitioner named dr barnicott who is one of the largest practices upon the south side of the thames his residence and principal consulting room is at kennington road but he has a branch surgery and dispensary at lower brixton road two miles away 
this dr barnicot is an enthusiastic admirer of napoleon and his house is full of books pictures and relics of the french emperor some little time ago he purchased from morse hudson two duplicate plaster casts of the famous head of napoleon by the french sculptor devine one of these he placed in his hall in the house at kennington road and the other on the mantelpiece of the surgery at lower brixton well when dr barnicot came down this morning he was astonished to find that his house had been burgled during the night but that nothing had been taken save the plaster head from the hall it had been carried out and had been dashed savagely against the garden wall under which its splintered fragments were discovered holmes rubbed his hands this is certainly very novel said he i thought it would please you but i have not got to the end yet dr barnicot was due at his surgery at twelve o'clock and you can imagine his amazement when on arriving there he found that the window had been opened in the night and that the broken pieces of his second bust were strewn all over the room it had been smashed to atoms where it stood in neither case were there any signs which could give us a clue as to the criminal or lunatic who'd done the mischief now mr holmes you've got the facts they are singular not to say grotesque said holmes may i ask whether the two busts smashed in dr barnicot's rooms were the exact duplicates of the one which was destroyed in morse hudson's shop they were taken from the same mould such a fact must tell against the theory that the man who breaks them is influenced by any general hatred of napoleon considering how many hundreds of statues of the great emperor must exist in london it is too much to suppose such a coincidence as that a promiscuous iconoclast should chance to begin upon three specimens of the same bust well i thought as you do said lestrade on the other hand this morse hudson is the purveyor of busts in that part of london and these three were the only ones which have been in his shop for years so although as you say there are many hundreds of statues in london it is very probable that these three were the only ones in that district therefore a local fanatic would begin with them what do you think dr watson there are no limits to the possibilities of monomania i answered there is the condition which the modern french psychologists have called the idee fixe which may be trifling in character and accompanied by complete sanity in every other way a man who had read deeply about napoleon or who had possibly received some hereditary family injury through the great war might conceivably form such an idee fixe and under its influence be capable of any fantastic outrage that won't do my dear watson said holmes shaking his head for no amount of idee fixe would enable your interesting monomaniac to find out where these busts were situated well how do you explain it i don't attempt to do so i would only observe that there is a certain method in the gentleman's eccentric proceedings for example in dr barnicot's hall where a sound might arouse the family the bust was taken outside before being broken whereas in the surgery where there are less danger of an alarm it was smashed where it stood the affair seems absurdly trifling and yet i dare call nothing trivial when i reflect 
that some of my most classic cases have had the least promising commencement you will remember watson how the dreadful business of the abernetti family was first brought to my notice by the depth which the parsley had sunk into the butter upon a hot day i cannot afford therefore to smile at your three broken busts lestrade and i shall be very much obliged to you if you will let me hear of any fresh developments of so singular a chain of events the development for which my friend had asked came in a quicker and an infinitely more tragic form than he could have imagined i was still dressing in my bedroom next morning when there was a tap at the door and holmes entered a telegram in his hand he read it aloud come instantly 131 pitt street kensington lestrade what is it then i asked don't know maybe anything but i suspect it is the sequel of the story of the statues in that case our friend the image breaker has begun operations in another quarter of london there's coffee on the table watson and i have a cab at the door in half an hour we had reached pitt street a quiet little backwater just beside one of the briskest currents of london life number 131 was one of a row all flat-chested respectable and most unromantic dwellings as we drove up we found the railings in front of the house lined by a curious crowd holmes whistled by george it's attempted murder at the least nothing less will hold the london message boy there's a deed of violence indicated in that fellow's round shoulders and outstretched neck what's this watson the top steps swill down and the other ones dry footsteps enough anyhow well well there's lestrade at the front window and we shall soon know all about it the official received us with a very grave face and showed us into a sitting-room where an exceedingly unkempt and agitated elderly man clad in a flannel dressing-gown was pacing up and down he was introduced to us as the owner of the house mr horace harker of the central press syndicate it's the napoleon bust business again said lestrade you seemed interested last night mr holmes so i thought perhaps you would be glad to be present now that the affair has taken a very much graver turn what has it turned to then to murder mr harker will you tell these gentlemen exactly what has occurred the man in the dressing-gown turned upon us with a most melancholy face it's an extraordinary thing said he that all my life i've been collecting other people's news and now that a real piece of news has come my own way i am so confused and bothered that i can't put two words together if i'd come in here as a journalist i should have interviewed myself and had two columns in every evening paper as it is i am giving away valuable copy by telling my story over and over to a string of different people and i can make no use of it myself however i have heard your name mr sherlock holmes and if you'll only explain this queer business i shall be paid for my trouble in telling you the story holmes sat down and listened it all seems to centre around that bust of napoleon which i bought for this very room about four months ago 
i picked it up cheap from harding brothers two doors from the high street station a great deal of my journalistic work is done at night and i often write until the early morning so it was to-day i was sitting in my den which is at the back of the top of the house about three o'clock when i was convinced that i heard some sounds downstairs i listened but they were not repeated and i concluded that they came from outside then suddenly about five minutes later there came a most horrible yell the most dreadful sound mr holmes that ever i heard it will ring in my ears as long as i live i sat frozen with horror for a minute or two and then i seized the poker and went downstairs when i entered this room i found the window wide open and i at once observed that the bust was gone from the mantelpiece why any burglar should take such a thing passes my understanding for it was only a plaster cast and of no real value whatever you can see for yourself that anyone going out through that open window could reach the front doorstep by taking a long stride this was clearly what the burglar had done so i went round and opened the door stepping out into the dark i nearly fell over a dead man who was lying there i ran back for a light and there was a poor fellow a great gash in his throat and the whole place swimming in blood he lay on his back his knees drawn up and his mouth horribly open i shall see him in my dreams i had just time to blow on my police whistle and then i must have fainted for i knew nothing more until i found the policeman standing over me in the hall well who was the murdered man asked holmes there's nothing to show who he was said lestrade you shall see the body at the mortuary but we've made nothing of it up to now he is a tall man sunburned very powerful not more than thirty he's poorly dressed and yet does not appear to be a labourer a horn-handled clasp knife was lying in a pool of blood beside him whether it was the weapon which did the deed or whether it belonged to the dead man i do not know there was no name on his clothing and nothing in his pocket save an apple some string a shilling map of london and a photograph here it is it was evidently taken by a snapshot from a small camera it represented an alert sharp-featured simian man with thick eyebrows and a very peculiar projection of the lower part of the face like the muzzle of a baboon and what became of the bust asked holmes after a careful study of this picture we had news of it just before you came it has been found in the front garden of an empty house in camden house road it was broken into fragments i'm going round now to see it will you come certainly i must just take one look round he examined the carpet and the window the fellow had either very long legs or was a most active man said he with an area beneath it was no mean feat to reach that window ledge and open that window getting back was comparatively simple are you coming with us to see the remains of your bust mr harker the disconsolate journalist had seated himself at a writing-table i must try and make something of it said he though i have no doubt that the first editions of the evening papers are out already with full details 
it's like my luck you remember when the stand fell at doncaster well i was the only journalist in the stand and my journal the only one that had no account of it for i was too shaken to write it and now i'll be too late with a murder done on my own doorstep as we left the room we heard his pen travelling shrilly over the fool's cap the spot where the fragments of the bust had been found was only a few hundred yards away for the first time our eyes rested upon this presentiment of the great emperor which seemed to raise such frantic and destructive hatred in the mind of the unknown it lay scattered in splintered shards upon the grass holmes picked up several of them and examined them carefully i was convinced from his intent face and his purposeful manner that at last he was upon a clue well asked lestrade holmes shrugged his shoulders we have a long way to go yet said he and yet and yet well we have some suggestive facts to act upon the possession of this trifling bust was worth more in the eyes of this strange criminal than a human life that is one point then there is a singular fact that he did not break it in the house or immediately outside the house if to break it was his sole object he was rattled and bustled by meeting this other fellow he hardly knew what he was doing well that's likely enough but i wish to call your attention very particularly to the position of this house in the garden of which the bust was destroyed lestrade looked about him it was an empty house and so he knew that he would not be disturbed in the garden yes but there is another empty house farther up the street which he must have passed before he came to this one why did he not break it there since it is evident that every yard that he carried it increased the risk of someone meeting him i'll oh, give it up said lestrade holmes pointed to the street lamp above our heads he could see what he was doing here and he could not there that was his reason by jove that's true said the detective now that i come to think of it dr barnicot's bust was broken not far from his red lamp well mr holmes what are we to do with that fact to remember it to docket it we may come on something later which will bear upon it what steps do you propose to take now lestrade the most practical way of getting at it in my opinion is to identify the dead man there should be no difficulty about that when we've found out who he is and who his associates are we should have a good start in learning what he was doing in pitt street last night and who it was who met him and killed him on the doorstep of mr horace harker don't you think so no doubt and yet it is not quite the way in which i should approach the case what would you do then oh you must not let me influence you in any way i suggest that you go on your line and i on mine we can compare notes afterwards and each will supplement the other very good said lestrade if you are going back to pitt street you might see mr horace harker tell him from me that i have quite made up my mind and that it is certain that a dangerous homicidal lunatic with napoleonic delusions was in his house last night it will be useful for his article lestrade stared you don't seriously believe that 
holmes smiled don't i well perhaps i don't but i'm sure that it will interest mr horace harker and the subscribers of the central press syndicate now watson i think that we shall find that we have a long and rather complex day's work before us i should be glad lestrade if you could make it convenient to meet us at baker street at six o'clock this evening until then i should like to keep this photograph found in the dead man's pocket it is possible that i may have to ask your company and assistance upon a small expedition which will have be undertaken to-night if my chain of reasoning should prove to be correct until then good-bye and good luck sherlock holmes and i walked together to the high street where we stopped at the shop of harding brothers whence the bust had been purchased a young assistant informed us that mr harding would be absent until afternoon and that he was himself a newcomer who could give us no information holmes's face showed his disappointment and annoyance well well we can't expect to have it all our own way watson he said at last we must come back in the afternoon if mr harding will not be here until then i am as you have no doubt surmised endeavouring to trace these busts to their source in order to find if there is not something peculiar which may account for their remarkable fate let us make for mr morse hudson of the kennington road and see if he can throw any light upon the problem a drive of an hour brought us to the picture dealer's establishment he was a small stout man with a red face and a peppery manner yes sir on my very counter sir said he what we pay rates and taxes for i don't know when any ruffian can come in and break one's goods yes sir it was i who sold dr parnicott his two statues disgraceful sir a nihilist plot that's what i make it no one but an anarchist could go about breaking statues red republicans that's what i call them who did i get the statues from oh i don't see what that's got to do with it well if you really want to know i got them from gelder and company in church street stepney they're a well-known house in the trade and have been this twenty years how many had i three two and one or three two of dr barnicott's and one smashed in broad daylight on my own counter do i know that photograph no i don't yes i do though why it's beppo he was a kind of italian piecework man who made himself useful in the shop he could carve a bit and gild and frame and do odd jobs the fellow left me last week and i've heard nothing of him since no i don't know where he came from nor where he went to i had nothing against him while he was here he was gone two days before the bust was smashed well that's all we could reasonably expect from morse hudson said holmes as we emerged from the shop we have this beppo as a common factor both in kennington and in kensington so that is worth a ten-mile drive now watson let us make for gelder and company of stepney the source and origin of the busts i shall be surprised if we don't get some help down there in rapid succession we pass through the fringe of fashionable london hotel london theatrical london literary london commercial london and finally maritime london till we came to a riverside city of a hundred thousand souls where the tenement houses swelter and reek with the outcasts of europe here in a broad thoroughfare once the abode of wealthy city merchants we found the sculpture works for which we searched 
outside was a considerable yard full of monumental masonry inside was a large room in which fifty workers were carving or moulding the manager a big blond german received us civilly and gave a clear answer to all holmes's questions a reference to his books showed that hundreds of casts had been taken from a marble copy of devine's head of napoleon but that the three which had been sent to morse hudson a year or so before had been half of a batch of six the other three being sent to harding brothers of kensington there was no reason why those six should be different from any of the other casts he could suggest no possible cause why anyone should wish to destroy them in fact he laughed at the idea their wholesale price was six shillings but the retailer would get twelve or more the cast was taken in two moulds from each side of the face and then these two profiles of plaster of paris were joined together to make the complete bust the work was usually done by italians in the room we were in when finished the busts were put on a table in the passage to dry and afterwards stored that was all he could tell us but the production of the photograph had a remarkable effect upon the manager his face flushed with anger and his brows knotted over his blue teutonic eyes ah the rascal he cried yes indeed i know him very well this has been also a respectable establishment and the only time that we have ever had the police in it was over this very fellow it was more than a year ago now he knifed another italian in the street and then he came to the works with the police on his heels and he was taken here beppo was his name his second name i never knew served me right for engaging a man with such a face but he was a good workman one of the best what did he get the man lived and he got off with a year i have no doubt he is out now but he has not dared to show his nose here we have a cousin of his here and i dare say he could tell you where he is no no cried holmes not a word to the cousin not a word i beg of you the matter is very important and the farther i go with it the more important it seems to grow when you referred in your ledger to the sale of those casts i observed that the date was june third of last year could you give me the date when beppo was arrested i could tell you roughly by the pay list the manager answered yes he continued after some turning over of the pages he was paid last on may twentieth thank you said holmes i don't think that i need intrude upon your time and patience any more with a last word of caution that he should say nothing as to our researches we turned our faces westward once more the afternoon was far advanced before we were able to snatch a hasty luncheon at a restaurant a news bill at the entrance announced kensington outrage murder by a madman and the contents of the paper showed that mr horace harker had got his account into print after all two columns were occupied with a highly sensational and flowery rendering of the whole incident holmes propped it against the cruet stand and read it while he ate once or twice he chuckled this is all right watson said he listen to this it is satisfactory to know that there can be no difference of opinion upon this case since mr lestrade one of the most experienced members of the official force 
and mr sherlock holmes the well-known consulting expert have each come to the conclusion that the grotesque series of incidents which have ended in so tragic a fashion arise from lunacy rather than from deliberate crime no explanation save mental aberration can cover the facts the press watson is a most valuable institution if you only know how to use it and now if you have quite finished we will hark back to kensington and see what the manager of harding brothers has to say on the matter the founder of that great emporium proved to be a brisk crisp little person very dapper and quick with a clear head and a ready tongue yes sir i have already read the account in the evening papers mr horace harker is a customer of ours we supplied him with the bust some months ago we ordered three busts of that sort from gelder and company of stepney they are all sold now to whom oh i dare say by consulting our sales book we could very easily tell you yes we have the entries here one to mr harker you see and one to mr josiah brown of laburnum lodge laburnum vale chiswick and one to mr sanderford of lower grove road reading no i have never seen this face which you show me in the photograph you would hardly forget it would you sir for i have seldom seen an uglier have we any italians on the staff yes sir we have several among our workpeople and the cleaners i dare say they might get a peep at that sales book if they wanted to there is no particular reason for keeping a watch upon that book well well it's a very strange business and i hope that you will let me know if anything comes of your inquiries holmes had taken several notes during mr harding's evidence and i could see that he was thoroughly satisfied by the turn which affairs were taking he made no remark however save that unless we hurried we should be late for our appointment with lestrade sure enough when we reached baker street the detective was already there and we found him pacing up and down in a fever of impatience this look of importance showed that his day's work had not been in vain well he asked what luck mr holmes we have had a very busy day and not entirely a wasted one my friend explained we have seen both the retailers and also the wholesale manufacturers i can trace each of the busts now from the beginning the busts cried lestrade well well you have your own methods mr sherlock holmes and it's not for me to say a word against them but i think i've done a better day's work than you i have identified the dead man you don't say so and found a cause for the crime splendid we have an inspector who makes a specialty of saffron hill and the italian quarter well this dead man had some catholic emblem round his neck and that along with his colour made me think he was from the south inspector hill knew him the moment he caught sight of him his name is pietro venucci from naples and he's one of the greatest cutthroats in london he is connected with the mafia which as you know is a secret political society enforcing its decrees by murder now you see how the affair begins to clear up the other fellow is probably an italian also and a member of the mafia he's broken the rules in some fashion pietro is set upon his track probably the photograph we found in his pocket is the man himself 
so that he may not knife the wrong person he dogs the fellow he sees him enter a house he waits outside for him and in the scuffle he receives his own death wound how's that mr sherlock holmes holmes clapped his hands approvingly excellent lestrade excellent he cried but i didn't quite follow your explanation of the destruction of the busts the busts you never can get those busts out of your head after all that's nothing petty larceny six months at the most it is the murder that we're really investigating and i tell you that i'm gathering all the threads into my hands and the next stage is a very simple one i shall go down with ill to the italian quarter find the man whose photograph we've got and arrest him on the charge of murder will you come with us i think not i fancy we can attain our end in a simpler way i can't say for certain because it all depends well it all depends upon a factor which is completely outside our control but i have great hopes in fact the betting is exactly two to one that if you will come with us tonight i shall be able to help you to lay him by the heels in the italian quarter no i fancy chiswick is an address which is more likely to find him if you will come with me to chiswick tonight lestrade i'll promise to go to the italian quarter with you tomorrow and no harm will be done by the delay and now i think that a few hours sleep would do us all good for i do not propose to leave before eleven o'clock and it is unlikely that we shall be back before morning you'll dine with us lestrade and then you are welcome to the sofa until it's time for us to start in the meantime watson i should be glad if you would ring for an express messenger for i have a letter to send and it is important that it should go at once holmes spent the evening in rummaging among the files of the old daily papers with which one of our lumber rooms was packed when at last he descended it was with triumph in his eyes but he said nothing to either of us as to the result of his researches for my own part i had followed step by step the methods by which he had traced the various windings of this complex case and though i could not yet perceive the goal which we would reach i understood clearly that holmes expected this grotesque criminal to make an attempt upon the two remaining busts one of which i remembered was at chiswick no doubt the object of our journey was to catch him in the very act and i could not but admire the cunning with which my friend had inserted a wrong clue in the evening paper so as to give the fellow the idea that he could continue his scheme with impunity i was not surprised when holmes suggested that i should take my revolver with me he had himself picked up the loaded hunting crop which was his favorite weapon a four-wheeler was at the door at eleven and in it we drove to a spot at the other side of hammersmith bridge here the cabman was directed to wait a short walk brought us to a secluded road fringed with pleasant houses each standing in its own grounds in the light of a street lamp we read laburnum villa upon the gatepost of one of them the occupants had evidently retired to rest for all was dark save for a fanlight over the hall door which shed a single blurred circle onto the garden path the wooden fence which separated the grounds from the road threw a dense black shadow upon that inner side and here it was that we crouched i fear that you'll have a long wait holmes whispered 
we may thank our stars that it is not raining i don't think we can even venture to smoke to pass the time however it's a two-to-one chance that we get something to pay us for our trouble it's proved however that our vigil was not to be so long as holmes had led us to fear and it ended in a very sudden and singular fashion in an instant without the least sound to warn us of his coming the garden gate swung open and a lithe dark figure as swift and active as an ape rushed up the garden path we saw it whisk past the light thrown from over the door and disappear against the black shadow of the house there was a long pause during which we held our breath and then a very gentle creaking sound came to our ears the window was being opened the noise ceased and again there was a long silence the fellow was making his way into the house we saw the sudden flash of a dark lantern inside the room what he sought was evidently not there for again we saw the flash through another blind and then through another let us go to the open window we'll nab him as he climbs out lestrade whispered but before we could move the man had emerged again as he came out into the glimmering patch of light we saw that he carried something white under his arm he looked stealthily all around him the silence of the deserted street reassured him turning his back upon us he laid down his burden and the next instant there was the sound of a sharp tap followed by a clatter and rattle the man was so intent upon what he was doing that he never heard our steps as we stole across the grass plot with the bound of a tiger holmes was on his back and an instant later lestrade and i had him by either wrist and the handcuffs had been fastened as we turned him over i saw a hideous sallow face with writhing furious features glaring up at us and i knew that it was indeed the man of the photograph whom we had secured but it was not our prisoner to whom holmes was giving his attention squatted on the doorstep he was engaged in most carefully examining that which the man had brought from the house it was a bust of napoleon like the one which we had seen that morning and it had been broken to similar fragments carefully holmes held each separate shard to the light but in no way did it differ from any other shattered piece of plaster he had just completed his examination when the hall lights flew up the door opened and the owner of the house a jovial rotund figure in shirt and trousers presented himself mr josiah brown i suppose said holmes yes sir and you no doubt are mr sherlock holmes i had the note which you sent by the express messenger and i did exactly what you told me we locked every door on the inside and awaited developments well i'm very glad to see that you have got the rascal i hope gentlemen that you will come in and have some refreshment however lestrade was anxious to get his man into safe quarters so within a few minutes our cab had been summoned and we were all four upon our way to london not a word would our captive say but he glared at us from the shadow of his matted hair and once when my hand seemed within his reach he snapped at it like a hungry wolf we stayed long enough at the police station to learn that a search of his clothing revealed nothing save a few shillings and a long sheath knife the handle of which bore copious traces of recent blood that's all right said lestrade as we parted 
he'll knows all these gentry and we'll give a name to him you'll find that my theory of the mafia will work out all right but i'm sure i'm exceedingly obliged to you mr holmes for the workmanlike way in which you've laid hands upon him i don't quite understand it all yet i fear it is rather too late an hour for explanations said holmes besides there are one or two details which are not finished off and it is one of those cases which are worth working out to the very end if you will come round once more to my rooms at six o'clock to-morrow i think i shall be able to show you that even now you have not grasped the entire meaning of this business which presents some features which make it absolutely original in the history of crime if ever i permit you to chronicle any more of my little problems watson i foresee that you will enliven your pages by an account of the singular adventure of the napoleonic busts when we met again next evening lestrade was furnished with much information concerning our prisoner his name it appeared was beppo second name unknown he was a well-known ne'er-do-well among the italian colony he had once been a skilful sculptor and had earned an honest living but he had taken to evil courses and had twice already been in jail once for a petty theft and once as we had already heard for stabbing a fellow countryman he could talk english perfectly well his reasons for destroying the busts were still unknown and he refused to answer any questions upon the subject but the police had discovered that these same busts might very well have been made by his own hands since he was engaged in this class of work at the establishment of gelder and company to all this information much of which we already knew holmes listened with polite attention but i who knew him so well could clearly see that his thoughts were elsewhere and i detected a mixture of mingled uneasiness and expectation beneath that mask which he was wont to assume at last he started in his chair and his eyes brightened there had been a ring at the bell a minute later we heard steps upon the stairs and an elderly red-faced man with grizzled side whiskers was ushered in in his right hand he carried an old-fashioned carpet-bag which he placed upon the table is mr sherlock holmes here my friend bowed and smiled mr sandiford of reading i suppose said he yes sir i fear that i am a little late but the trains were awkward you wrote to me about a bust that is in my possession exactly i have your letter here you said i desire to possess a copy of devine's napoleon and am prepared to pay you ten pounds for the one which is in your possession is that right certainly i was very much surprised at your letter for i could not imagine how you knew that i owned such a thing of course you must have been surprised but the explanation is very simple mr harding of harding brothers said that they had sold you their last copy and he gave me your address oh that was it was it did he tell you what i paid for it no he did not well i am an honest man though not a very rich one i only gave fifteen shillings for the bust and i think you ought to know that before i take ten pounds from you i am sure the scruple does you honour mr sandiford but i have named that price so i intend to stick to it 
well it's very handsome of you mr holmes i brought the bust up with me as you asked me to do here it is he opened his bag and at last we saw placed upon our table a complete specimen of that bust which we had already seen more than once in fragments holmes took a paper from his pocket and laid a ten-pound note upon the table you will kindly sign that paper mr sandiford in the presence of these witnesses it is simply to say that you transfer every possible right that you ever had in the bust to me i am a methodical man you see and you never know what turn events might take afterwards thank you mr sandiford here is your money and i wish you a very good evening when our visitor had disappeared sherlock holmes's movements were such as to rivet our attention he began by taking a clean white cloth from a drawer and laying it over the table then he placed his newly acquired bust in the centre of the cloth finally he picked up his hunting crop and struck napoleon a sharp blow on the top of the head the figure broke into fragments and holmes bent eagerly over the shattered remains next instant with a loud shout of triumph he held up one splinter in which a round dark object was fixed like a plum in a pudding gentlemen he cried let me introduce you to the famous black pearl of the borgias lestrade and i sat silent for a moment and then with a spontaneous impulse we both broke at clapping as at the well-wrought crisis of a play a flush of colour sprang to holmes's pale cheeks and he bowed to us like the master dramatist who receives the homage of his audience it was at such moments that for an instant he ceased to be a reasoning machine and betrayed his human love for admiration and applause the same singularly proud and reserved nature which turned away with disdain from popular notoriety was capable of being moved to its depths by spontaneous wonder and praise from a friend yes gentlemen said he it is the most famous pearl now existing in the world and it has been my good fortune by a connected chain of inductive reasoning to trace it from the prince of coloner's bedroom at the ducker hotel where it was lost to the interior of this the last of the six busts of napoleon which were manufactured by gelder and company of stepney you will remember lestrade the sensation caused by the disappearance of this valuable jewel and the vain efforts of the london police to recover it i was myself consulted upon the case but i was unable to throw any light upon it suspicion fell upon the maid of the princess who was an italian and it was proved that she had a brother in london but we failed to trace any connection between them the maid's name was lucretia venucci and there is no doubt in my mind that this pietro who was murdered two nights ago was the brother i have been looking up the dates in the old files of the paper and i find that the disappearance of the pearl was exactly two days before the arrest of beppo for some crime of violence an event which took place in the factory of gelder and company at the very moment when these busts were being made now you clearly see the sequence of events though you see them of course in the inverse order to the way in which they presented themselves to me beppo had the pearl in his possession he may have stolen it from pietro 
he may have been pietro's confederate he may have been the go-between of pietro and his sister it is of no consequence to us which is the correct solution the main fact is that he had the pearl and at that moment when it was on his person he was pursued by the police he made for the factory in which he worked and he knew that he had only a few minutes in which to conceal this enormously valuable prize which would otherwise be found on him when he was searched six plaster casts of napoleon were drying in the passage one of them was still soft in an instant beppo a skilful workman made a small hole in the wet plaster dropped in the pearl and with a few touches covered over the aperture once more it was an admirable hiding place no one could possibly find it but beppo was condemned to a year's imprisonment and in the meanwhile his six busts were scattered over london he could not tell which contained his treasure only by breaking them could he see even shaking would tell him nothing for as the plaster was wet it was probable that the pearl would adhere to it as in fact it has done beppo did not despair and he conducted his search with considerable ingenuity and perseverance through a cousin who works with gelder he found out the retail firms who had bought the busts he managed to find employment with morse hudson and in that way tracked down three of them the pearl was not there then with the help of some italian employee he succeeded in finding out where the other three busts had gone the first was at harker's there he was dogged by his confederate who held beppo responsible for the loss of the pearl and he stabbed him in the scuffle which followed if he was his confederate why should he carry his photograph i asked as a means of tracing him if he wished to inquire about him from any third person that was the obvious reason well after the murder i calculated that beppo would probably hurry rather than delay his movements he would fear that the police would read his secret and so he hastened on before they could get ahead of him of course i could not say that he had not found the pearl in harker's bust i had not even concluded for certain that it was the pearl but it was evident to me that he was looking for something since he carried the bust past the other houses in order to break it in the garden which had a lamp overlooking it since harker's bust was one in three the chances were exactly as i told you two to one against the pearl being inside it there remained two busts and it was obvious that he would go for the london one first i warned the inmates of the house so as to avoid a second tragedy and we went down with the happiest results by that time of course i knew for certain that it was the borgia pearl that we were after the name of the murdered man linked the one event with the other there only remained a single bust the reading one and the pearl must be there i bought it in your presence from the owner and there it lies we sat in silence for a moment well said lestrade i've seen you handle a good many cases mr holmes but i don't know that i've ever known more workmanlike one than that we're not jealous of you at scotland yard no sir we're very proud of you and if you come down to-morrow there's not a man from the oldest inspector to the youngest constable who wouldn't be glad to shake you by the hand thank you said holmes thank you and as he turned away it seemed to me 
that he was more nearly moved by the softer human emotions than i had ever seen him a moment later he was the cold and practical thinker once more put the pearl in the safe watson said he and get out the papers of the conk singleton forgery case good-bye lestrade if any little problem comes your way i shall be happy if i can to give you a hint or two as to its solution end of the adventure of the six napoleons Adventure Nine in the Return of Sherlock Holmes by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Adventure Nine, the Adventure of the Three Students. It was in the year ninety-five that a combination of events into which I need not enter caused Mister Sherlock Holmes and myself to spend some weeks in one of our great university towns, and it was during this time that the small but instructive adventure which I am about to relate befell us. It will be obvious that any details which would help the reader exactly to identify the college or the criminal would be injudicious and offensive. So painful a scandal may well be allowed to die out. With due discretion, the incident itself may, however, be described since it serves to illustrate some of those qualities to which my friend was remarkable. I will endeavour in my statement to avoid such terms as would serve to limit the events to any particular place, or give a clue as to the people concerned. We were reading at the time in furnished lodgings close to a library where Sherlock Holmes was pursuing some laborious researches in early English charters, researches which led to results so striking that they may be the subject of one of my future narratives. Here it was that one evening we received a visit from an acquaintance mr hilton soames tutor and lecturer at the college of st luke's mr soames was a tall spare man of a nervous and excitable temperament i had always known him to be restless in his manner but on this particular occasion he was in such a state of uncontrollable agitation that it was clear something very unusual had occurred i trust mr holmes that you can spare me a few hours of your valuable time we have had a very painful incident at st luke's and really but for the happy chance of your being in town i should have been at a loss what to do i am very busy just now and i desire no distractions my friend answered i should much prefer that you called in the aid of the police no no my dear sir such a course is utterly impossible when once the law is evoked it cannot be stayed again and this is just one of those cases where for the credit of the college it is most essential to avoid scandal your discretion is as well known as your powers and you are the one man in the world who can help me i beg you mr holmes to do what you can my friend's temper had not improved since he had been deprived of the congenial surroundings of baker street Without his scrapbooks, his chemicals, and his homely untidiness, he was an uncomfortable man. He shrugged his shoulders in ungracious acquiescence, while our visitor, in hurried words, and with much excitable gesticulation, poured forth his story. "'I must explain to you, Mr. Holmes, that tomorrow is the first day of the examination for the Fortescue Scholarship. I am one of the examiners. My subject is Greek, 
and the first of the papers consists of a large passage of greek translation which the candidate has not seen this passage is printed on the examination paper and it would naturally be an immense advantage if the candidate could prepare it in advance for this reason great care is taken to keep the paper secret Today, about three o'clock the proofs of this paper arrived from the printers the exercise consists of a half a chapter of thucydides i had to read it over carefully as the text must be absolutely correct at four thirty my task was not yet completed i had however promised to take tea in a friend's room so i left the proof upon my desk i was absent rather more than an hour you are aware mr holmes that our college doors are double a green baize one within and a heavy oak one without as i approached my outer door i was amazed to see a key in it for an instant i imagined that i had left my own there but on feeling in my pocket i found that it was all right the only duplicate which existed so far as i knew was that which belonged to my servant banister a man who has looked after my room for ten years and whose honesty is absolutely above suspicion i found that the key it was indeed his that he had entered my room to know if i wanted tea and that he had very carelessly left the key in the door when he came out his visit to my room must have been within a very few minutes of my leaving it his forgetfulness about the key would have mattered little upon any other occasion but on this one day it has produced the most deplorable consequences the moment i looked at my table i was aware that someone had rummaged among my papers the proof was in three long slips i had left them all together now i found that one of them was lying on the floor one was on the side table near the window and the third was where i had left it holmes stirred for the first time the first page on the floor the second in the window the third where you left it said he exactly mr holmes you amaze me how could you possibly know that pray continue your very interesting statement for an instant i imagined that banister had taken the unpardonable liberty of examining my papers he denied it however with the utmost earnestness and i am convinced that he was speaking the truth the alternative was that some one passing had observed the key in the door had known that i was out and had entered to look at the papers a large sum of money is at stake for the scholarship is a very valuable one and an unscrupulous man might very well run a risk in order to gain an advantage over his fellows banister was very much upset by the incident he had nearly fainted when we found that the papers had undoubtedly been tampered with i gave him a little brandy and left him collapsed in a chair while i made a most careful examination of the room i soon saw that the intruder had left other traces of his presence beside the rumpled papers on the table in the window were several shreds from a pencil which had been sharpened a broken tip of lead was lying there also evidently the rascal had copied the paper in a great hurry had broken his pencil and had been compelled to put a fresh point to it excellent said holmes who was recovering his good humour as his attention became more engrossed by the case 
fortune has been your friend this was not all i have a new writing table with a fine surface of red leather i am prepared to swear and so is bannister that it was smooth and unstained now i found a clean cut in it about three inches long not a mere scratch but a positive cut not only this but on the table i found a small ball of black dough or clay with specks of something which looks like sawdust in it i am convinced that these marks were left by the man who rifled the papers there were no footmarks and no other evidence as to his identity i was at my wits end when suddenly the happy thought occurred to me that you were in town and i came straight round to put the matter into your hands do help me mr holmes you see my dilemma either i must find the man or else the examination must be postponed until fresh papers are prepared and since this cannot be done without explanation there will ensue a hideous scandal which will throw a cloud not only on the college but on the university above all things i desire to settle the matter quietly and discreetly i shall be happy to look into it and to give you such advice as i can said holmes rising and putting on his overcoat the case is not entirely devoid of interest had anyone visited you in your room after the papers came to you yes a young dowlet ras an indian student who lives on the same stair came in to ask me some particulars about the examination for which he was entered yes and the papers were on your table to the best of my belief they were rolled up but might be recognized as proofs possibly no one else in your room no did anyone know that these proofs would be there no one save the printer did this man bannister know no certainly not no one knew where is bannister now he was very ill poor fellow i left him collapsed in the chair i was in such a hurry to come to you you left your door open i locked up the papers first then it amounts to this mr soames that unless the indian student recognized the role as being proofs the man who tampered with them came upon them accidentally without knowing that they were there so it seems to me holmes gave an enigmatic smile well said he let us go round not one of your cases watson mental not physical all right come if you want to now mr soames at your disposal the sitting-room of our client opened by a long low latticed window onto the ancient lichen-tinted court of the old college a gothic arched door led to a worn stone staircase on the ground floor was the tutor's room above were three students one on each story it was already twilight when we reached the scene of our problem holmes halted and looked earnestly at the window then he approached it and standing on tiptoe with his neck craned he looked into the room he must have entered through the door there is no opening except the one pane said our learned guide dear me said holmes and he smiled in a singular way as he glanced at our companion 
well if there is nothing to be learned here we had best go inside the lecturer unlocked the outer door and ushered us into his room we stood at the entrance while holmes made an examination of the carpet i am afraid there are no signs here said he one could hardly hope for any upon so dry a day your servant seems to have quite recovered you left him in a chair you say which chair by the window there i see near this little table you can come in now i have finished with the carpet let us take the little table first of course what has happened is very clear the man entered and took the papers sheet by sheet from the central table he carried them over to the window table because from there he could see if you came across the courtyard and so could effect an escape as a matter of fact he could not said Soames for I entered by the side door ah that's good well anyhow that was in his mind let me see the three strips no finger impressions no well he carried over this one first and he copied it how long would it take him to do that using every possible contraction quarter of an hour not less then he tossed it down and seized the next he was in the midst of that when your return caused him to make a very hurried retreat very hurried since he had not time to replace the papers which would tell you that he'd been there you were not aware of any hurrying feet on the stair as you entered the outer door no i can't say i was well he wrote so furiously that he broke his pencil and had as you observe to sharpen it again this is of interest watson the pencil was not an ordinary one it was above the usual size with a soft lead the outer color was dark blue the maker's name was printed in silver lettering and the piece remaining is only about an inch and a half long look for such a pencil mr Soames, and you have got your man when i add that he possesses a large and very blunt knife you have an additional aid mr Soames was somewhat overwhelmed by this flood of information i can follow the other points said he but really in this matter of the length holmes held out a small chip with the letters n n and a space of clear wood after them you see no i fear that even now watson i have always done you an injustice there are others what could this nn be is it the end of a word you are aware that johann faber is the most common maker's name is it not clear that there is just as much of the pencil left as usually follows the johann he held the small table sideways to the electric light i was hoping that if the paper on which he wrote was thin some trace of it might have come through upon this polished surface no i see nothing i don't think there is anything more to be learned here now for the central table this small pellet is i presume the black doughy mass you spoke of roughly pyramidal in shape and hollowed out i perceive as you say there appear to be grains of sawdust in it dear me this is very interesting and the cut a positive tear i see it began with a thin scratch and ended in a jagged hole i am much indebted to you for directing my attention to this case mr Soames. 
where does that door lead to uh, to my bedroom have you been in it since your adventure no i came straight away for you i should like to have a glance around what a charming old-fashioned room perhaps you'll kindly wait a minute until i have examined the floor no i see nothing what about this curtain you hang your clothes behind it if anyone were forced to conceal himself in this room he must do it there since the bed is too low and the wardrobe too shallow no one there i suppose as holmes drew the curtain i was aware from some little rigidity and alertness of his attitude that he was prepared for an emergency as a matter of fact the drawn curtain disclosed nothing but three or four suits of clothes hanging from a line of pegs holmes turned away and stooped suddenly to the floor hello what's this said he it was a small pyramid of black putty-like stuff exactly like the one upon the table of the study holmes held it in his open palm in the glare of the electric light your visitor seems to have left traces in your bedroom as well as in your sitting-room mr soames what could he have wanted there i think it is clear enough you came back by an unexpected way and so he had no warning until you were at the very door what could he do he caught up everything which would betray him and he rushed into your bedroom to conceal himself good gracious mr holmes do you mean to tell me that all the time i was talking to bannister in this room we had the man prisoner if we'd only known it so i read it surely there's another alternative mr holmes i don't know whether you observed my bedroom window lattice paned lead framework three separate windows one swinging on hinge and large enough to admit a man exactly and it looks out on an angle of the courtyard so as to be partly invisible the man might have effected his entrance there left traces as he passed through the bedroom and finally finding the door open have escaped that way holmes shook his head impatiently let us be practical said he i understand you to say that there are these three students who use this stair and are in the habit of passing your door yes there are and they are all in for this examination yes have you any reason to suspect any one of them more than the others soames hesitated it is a very delicate question said he one hardly likes to throw suspicion where there are no proofs let us hear the suspicions i will look after the proofs i will tell you then in a few words the character of the three men who inhabit these rooms the lower of the three is gilchrist a fine scholar and athlete plays in the rugby team and the cricket team for the college and got his blue for the hurdles and the long jump he is a fine manly fellow his father was the notorious sir jabez gilchrist who ruined himself on the turf my scholar has been left very poor but he's hard-working and industrious he will do well the second floor is inhabited by dalot ras the indian he is a quiet inscrutable fellow as most of those indians are he is well up in his work though his greek is his weak subject he is steady and methodical the top floor belongs to miles mclaren 
he is a brilliant fellow when he chooses to work one of the brightest intellects of the university but he is wayward dissipated and unprincipled he was nearly expelled over a card scandal in his first year he's been idling all this term and he must look forward with dread to the examination then it is he whom you suspect i dare not go so far as that but of the three he is perhaps the least unlikely exactly now mr solmes let us have a look at your servant bannister he was a little white-faced clean-shaven grisly-haired fellow of fifty he was still suffering from this sudden disturbance of the quiet routine of his life his plump face was twitching with his nervousness and his fingers could not keep still we were investigating this unhappy business bannister said his master yes sir i understand said holmes that you left your key in the door yes sir was it not very extraordinary that you should do this on the very day when there were these papers inside it was most unfortunate sir but i have occasionally done the same thing at other times when did you enter the room it was about half past four that is mr solmes tea time and how long did you stay when i saw that he was absent i withdrew at once did you look at these papers on the table no sir certainly not how came you to leave the key in the door i had a tea tray in my hand and i thought i'd come back for the key then i forgot has the outer door a spring lock no sir then it was open all the time yes sir anyone in the room could get out yes sir when mr solmes returned and called for you you were very much disturbed yes sir such a thing has never happened during the many years that i've been here i nearly fainted sir so i understand where were you when you began to feel bad where was i sir why here near the door that is singular because you sat down in that chair over yonder near the corner why did you pass these other chairs i don't know sir it didn't matter to me where i sat i really don't think he knew much about it mr holmes he was looking very bad quite ghastly you stayed here when your master left only for a minute or so then i locked the door and went to my room whom do you suspect oh i would not venture to say sir i don't believe there is any gentleman in this university who is capable of profiting by such an action no sir i'll not believe it thank you that'll do said holmes oh one more word you have not mentioned to any of the three gentlemen whom you attend that anything is amiss no sir not a word you haven't seen any of them no sir very good now mr solmes we will take a walk in the quadrangle if you please three yellow squares of light shone above us in the gathering gloom your three birds are all in their nests said holmes looking up hello what's that one of them seems restless enough it was the indian whose dark silhouette appeared suddenly upon his blind 
he was pacing swiftly up and down his room i should like to have a peep at each of them said holmes is it possible no difficulty in the world solmes answered this set of rooms is quite the oldest in the college and it is not unusual for visitors to go over them come along and i will personally conduct you no names please said holmes as we knocked at gilchrist's door a tall flaxen-haired slim young fellow opened it and made us welcome when he understood our errand there were some really curious pieces of medieval domestic architecture within holmes was so charmed with one of them that he insisted on drawing it in his notebook broke his pencil had to borrow one from our host and finally borrowed a knife to sharpen his own the same curious accident happened to him in the rooms of the indian a silent little hook-nosed fellow who eyed us askance and was obviously glad when holmes's architectural studies had come to an end i could not see that in either case holmes had come upon the clue for which he was searching only at the third did our visit prove abortive the outer door would not open to our knock and nothing more substantial than a torrent of bad language came from behind it i don't care who you are you can go to blazes roared the angry voice tomorrow is the exam and i won't be drawn by anyone a rude fellow said our guide flushing with anger as we withdrew down the stair of course he did not realize that it was i who was knocking but none the less his conduct was very uncourteous and indeed under the circumstances rather suspicious holmes's response was a curious one can you tell me his exact height he asked really mr holmes i cannot undertake to say he is taller than the indian not so tall as gilchrist i suppose five foot six would be about it that is very important said holmes and now mr solmes i wish you good night our guide cried aloud in his astonishment and dismay good gracious mr holmes you are surely not going to leave me in this abrupt fashion you don't seem to realize the position to-morrow is the examination i must take some definite action to-night i cannot allow the examination to be held if one of the papers has been tampered with the situation must be faced you must leave it as it is i shall drop round early to-morrow morning and chat the matter over it is possible that i may be in a position then to indicate some course of action meanwhile you change nothing nothing at all very good mr holmes you can be perfectly easy in your mind we shall certainly find some way out of your difficulties i will take the black clay with me also the pencil cuttings good-bye when we were out in the darkness of the quadrangle we again looked up at the windows the indian still paced his room the others were invisible well watson what do you think of it holmes asked as we came out into the main street quite a little parlor game a sort of three-card trick is it not there are your three men it must be one of them you take your choice which is yours a foul-mouthed fellow at the top he's the one with the worst record and yet that indian was a sly fellow also why should he be pacing his room all the time there is nothing in that 
many men do it when you're trying to learn anything by heart he looked at us in a queer way so would you if a flock of strangers came in on you when you were preparing for an examination next day and every moment was of value no i see nothing in that pencils too and knives always satisfactory but that fellow does puzzle me who why bannister the servant what's his game in the matter he impressed me as being a perfectly honest man so he did me that's the puzzling part why should a perfectly honest man well well here's a large stationer's we shall begin our researches here there were only four stationers of any consequence in the town and at each holmes produced his pencil chips and bid all were agreed that one could be ordered but it was not a usual size of pencil and that it was seldom kept in stock my friend did not appear to be depressed by his failure but shrugged his shoulders in half humorous resignation no good my dear watson this the best and only final clue has run to nothing but indeed i have little doubt that we can build up a sufficient case without it by jove my dear fellow it is nearly nine and the landlady babbled of green peas at seven-thirty what with your eternal tobacco watson and your irregularity at meals i expect that you will get notice to quit and that i shall share your downfall not however before we have solved the problem of the nervous tutor the careless servant and the three enterprising students holmes made no further allusion to the matter that day though he sat lost in thought for a long time after our belated dinner at eight in the morning he came into my room just as i finished my toilet well watson said he it is time we went down to st luke's can you do without breakfast certainly soames will be in a dreadful fidget until we are able to tell him something positive have you anything positive to tell him i think so you have formed a conclusion yes my dear watson i have solved the mystery but what fresh evidence could you have got aha it is not for nothing that i have turned myself out of bed at the untimely hour of six i've put in two hours hard work and covered at least five miles with something to show for it look at that he held out his hand on the palm were three little pyramids of black doughy clay why holmes you only had two yesterday and one more this morning it is a fair argument that wherever number three came from is also the source of numbers one and two eh watson well come along and put friend soames out of his pain the unfortunate tutor was certainly in a state of pitiable agitation when we found him in his chambers in a few hours the examination would commence and he was still in the dilemma between making the facts public and allowing the culprit to compete for the valuable scholarship he could hardly stand still so great was his mental agitation and he ran towards holmes with two eager hands outstretched thank heaven that you've come i feared that you had given it up in despair what am i to do shall the examination proceed yes let it proceed by all means but this rascal 
he shall not compete you know him i think so if this matter is not to become public we must give ourselves certain powers and resolve ourselves into a small private court-martial you there if you please Soames Watson you here I'll take the armchair in the middle I think that we're now sufficiently imposing to strike terror into a guilty breast kindly ring the bell Bannister entered and shrank back in evident surprise and fear at our judicial appearance you will kindly close the door said Holmes now Bannister will you please tell us the truth about yesterday's incident the man turned white to the roots of his hair i've told you everything sir nothing to add nothing at all sir well then i must make some suggestions to you when you sat down on that chair yesterday did you do so in order to conceal some object which would have shown who had been in the room Bannister's face was ghastly. No, sir, certainly not. It is only a suggestion, said Holmes suavely. I frankly admit that I am unable to prove it, but it seems probable enough. Since the moment that Mr. Soames's back was turned, you released the man who was hiding in that bedroom. Bannister licked his dry lips. There was no man, sir. Ah, that's a pity, Bannister up to now you may have spoken the truth but now i know that you have lied the man's face set in sullen defiance there was no man sir come come bannister no sir there was no one in that case you can give us no further information would you please remain in the room stand over there near the bedroom door now Soames. I'm going to ask you to have the great kindness to go up to the room of young Gilchrist and to ask him to step down into yours. An instant later, the tutor returned, bringing with him the student. He was a fine figure of a man, tall, lithe, and agile, with a springy step and a pleasant, open face. His troubled blue eyes glanced at each of us and finally rested with an expression of blank dismay upon Bannister in the farther corner. "'Just close the door,' said Holmes. "'Now, Mr. Gilchrist, we are all quite alone here, "'and no one need ever know one word of what passes between us. "'We can be perfectly frank with each other. "'We want to know, Mr. Gilchrist, how you, an honourable man, "'ever came to commit such an action as that of yesterday.' "'The unfortunate young man staggered back "'and cast a look full of horror and reproach at Bannister.' no no mr gilchrist sir i never said a word never one word cried the servant no but you have now said holmes now sir you must see that after bannister's words your position is hopeless and that your only chance lies in a frank confession for a moment gilchrist with upraised hand tried to control his writhing features the next he had thrown himself on his knees beside the table and burying his face in his hands he had burst into a storm of passionate sobbing come come said holmes kindly it is human to err and at least no one can accuse you of being a callous criminal perhaps it would be easier for you if i were to tell mr soames what occurred 
and you can check me where i am wrong shall i do so well well don't trouble to answer listen and see that i do you no injustice from the moment mr soames that you said to me that no one not even bannister could have told that the papers were in your room the case began to take a definite shape in my mind the printer one could of course dismiss he could examine the papers in his own office the indian i also thought nothing of if the proofs were in a roll he could not possibly know what they were on the other hand it seemed an unthinkable coincidence that a man should dare to enter the room and that by chance on that very day the papers were on the table i dismissed that the man who entered knew that the papers were there how did he know when i approached your room i examined the window you amused me by supposing that i was contemplating the possibility of someone having in broad daylight under the eyes of all these opposite rooms forced himself through it such an idea was absurd i was measuring how tall a man would need to be in order to see as he passed what papers were on the central table i am six feet high and i could do it without an effort no one less than that would have a chance already you see i had reason to think that if one of your three students was a man of unusual height he was the most worth watching of the three i entered and i took you into my confidence as to the suggestions of the side table of the centre table i could make nothing until in your description of gilchrist you mentioned that he was a long-distance jumper then the whole thing came to me in an instant and i only needed certain corroborative proofs which i speedily obtained what happened with this this young fellow had employed his afternoon at the athletic grounds where he had been practising the jump he returned carrying his jumping shoes which are provided as you are aware with several sharp spikes as he passed your window he saw by means of his great height these proofs upon your table and conjectured what they were no harm would have been done had it not been that as he passed your door he perceived the key which had been left by the carelessness of your servant a sudden impulse came over him to enter and see if they were indeed the proofs it was not a dangerous exploit for he could always pretend that he had simply looked in to ask a question well when he saw that they were indeed the proofs it was then that he yielded to temptation he put his shoes on the table what was it you put on that chair near the window gloves said the young man holmes looked triumphantly at bannister he put his gloves on the chair and he took the proofs sheet by sheet to copy them he thought the tutor must return by the main gate and that he would see him as we know he came back by the side gate suddenly he heard him at the very door there was no possible escape he forgot his gloves but he caught up his shoes and darted into the bedroom you observe that the scratch on that table is slight at one side but deepens in the direction of the bedroom door that in itself is enough to show us that the shoe had been drawn in that direction and that the culprit had taken refuge there the earth round the spike had been left on the table and a second sample was loosened and fell into the bedroom i may add that i walked out to the athletic grounds this morning 
saw that tenacious black clay is used in the jumping pit and carried away a specimen of it together with some of the fine tan or sawdust which is strewn over it to prevent the athlete from slipping have i told the truth mr gilchrist the student had drawn himself erect yes sir it is true said he good heavens have you nothing to add cried Soames. yes sir i have but the shock of this disgraceful exposure has bewildered me i have a letter here mr Soames, which i wrote to you early this morning in the middle of a restless night it was before i knew that my sin had found me out here it is sir you will see that i have said i have determined not to go in for the examination i have been offered a commission in the rhodesian police and i am going out to south africa at once i am indeed pleased to hear that you did not intend to profit by your unfair advantage said Soames. but why did you change your purpose gilchrist pointed to bannister there is the man who set me in the right path said he come now bannister said holmes it will be clear to you from what i have said that only you could have let this young man out since you were left in the room and must have locked the door when you went out as to his escaping by that window it was incredible can you not clear up the last point in this mystery and tell us the reasons for your action it was simple enough sir if you only had known but with all your cleverness it was impossible that you could know time was sir when i was butler to old sir jabez gilchrist this young gentleman's father when he was ruined i came to the college as servant but i never forgot my old employer because he was down in the world i watched his son all i could for the sake of the old days well sir when i came into this room yesterday when the alarm was given the very first thing i saw was mr gilchrist's tanned gloves are lying in that chair i knew those gloves well and i understood their message if mr Soames saw them the game was up i flopped down into that chair and nothing would budge me until mr Soames he went for you then out came my poor young master whom i dandled on my knee and confessed it all to me wasn't it natural sir that i should save him and wasn't it natural also that i should try to speak to him as his dead father would have done and make him understand that he could not profit by such a deed could you blame me sir no indeed said holmes heartily springing to his feet well Soames, i think we've cleared your little problem up and our breakfast awaits us at home come watson as to you sir i trust that a bright future awaits you in rhodesia for once you have fallen low let us see in the future how high you can rise end of the adventure of the three students